this afternoon, God, the Holy Spirit, deposited within me a word for you for this time, for this place. You know, God is a God of timing, of purpose, of intention, but he's also a God of places and he's a God of people. And I have to tell you that I am beginning to see a crack in the dam. I need to tell you that it's raining from you just upstream. I need to awaken you to what the Holy Spirit is doing right now. now you say, I don't feel anything. Wonderful. You are a prime candidate. Now, if you've ever heard me, hear me now. Let every single person you love, you care about, be aware that there's about to be a word that comes forth that is irreversibly, undeniably about to change their life, their circumstance, their future forever if they will simply hear it. I want to talk to you tonight because just, just this week, 11 days ago, I believe, up in Palestine, Ohio, Palestine, Ohio, that's not, you know, New York City, that's not Los Angeles, California. I believe the population of Palestine, Ohio is about 15, 1800, right? These are hardworking people. They used to make uh, pottery, pottery out of clay, but that sense has just, business has gone. Many of, I think the median income per household in Palestine, Ohio, is about $38,000 a year. These are conservative people. Norfolk Southern train rail system had a, a train derail in their little town. Now this was 11 days, I want you to look at this. That was not when the train derailed that was days after. In that cloud of smoke are some of the most hazardous, toxic chemicals, carcinogens, cancer-causing chemicals. One of them was used more than any other in chemical warfare in our wars. And all of a sudden, they all decided, the officials allowed what they called a controlled burn of those toxic chemicals. And that toxic explosion went into the Ohio River, which supplies 10% of the drinking water for this nation. These chemicals, fish are dying, animals are dying, deer are dying, pets are dying. Wildlife is dying. People's faces are burning. 
And do you know what our government did as a response? They said, well, you should evacuate and, and, well, and go to a hotel. Well, they don't have money to go to a hotel. Where are the officials? Where's the EPA? We had to wear 14 masks for two years because we weren't supposed to breathe things. But no one seems to care about the precious people in Palestine, Ohio, just across the border from Pennsylvania. They were allowed to return to their homes. Our own governor in Ohio said, well, you might want to keep drinking bottled water. Well, dear governor, and I love you, they don't have money to buy bottled water. What if this had happened in Washington, D.C.? Do you think the government would be ignoring it? What if it had happened in some ritzy neighborhood outside Los Angeles? Do you think it would be ignored for 11 days and the people told, just do the best you can? Our own governor said, thousands are in danger of dying. Do you think the national news media is carrying it? No. What does that tell you? That tells you, my dear brother and sister, we are living in the end of the age. And it's time for revival. In my book, Revival If, I talk about Asbury University. They had two major moves of God, divine interventions, revival, in the last couple of decades. It's happening again. I'm gonna tell you about it. I'm gonna tell you about it. But hold on to your seat. I already told you, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. I wanna talk to you about the glory of a divine burden. Type that word in right now, I dare you, and I'm gonna drink some water while you do. Type in burden. I have to ask you a question. Can a prayer meeting change the course of history? Can a prayer meeting change the course of history? Well, I'm gonna answer my own rhetorical question. I know beyond any doubt with absolute certainty that it can. Here's how I know. It already happened. Go with me now. Wednesday morning, August 13, 1727. Something supernatural broke through from the palaces and pavilions of heaven, invading this broken blue marble planet. Something so potent that it would ultimately alter the course of global events. It would transform eternal destinies. It transpired in Hernhut, an obscure little hamlet in Central Europe 
near the intersection of Germany, the Czech Republic, and Poland. It was an extraordinary outpouring. Today, if you want to look it up, it's commonly referred to as the Moravian Revival. And then, decades and decades and decades rolled by, and a chant began to be heard like this, Lord, make it like Cane Ridge. No more than a morning's drive through the winding mountains of Eastern Kentucky, the fountainhead of my family's lineage, where I'm from, is the site of a revival of astonishing power and overwhelming intensity. The events that transpired in those days thrilled the faithful <laughs> and terrified the sinners. How would you like for your Sunday morning service, sir, to thrill the saints and terrify the sinners? It was Charles Finney who said, preach this gospel until they get mad at you or mad at their sin. In the summer of 1800, a minister named Barton Stone, don't ever forget him, he attended a revival already underway in Logan County, Kentucky. He was so encouraged by the demonstration of God's spirit, the hundreds and hundreds that were being swept in a great harvest of souls and the resulting, hear me, cultural shift that he witnessed in those surrounding communities. Let me tell you something. There is a revival at hand. It has already begun. The spray is being felt by thousands right now. You say, I don't feel anything. You need to adjust your sails. You need to adjust your sails. Listen, preacher, nobody will preach about culture wars any stronger or longer than I have. But I can tell you, I'm 66 years old. You cannot legislate morality. The problem of the human heart is the heart of the human problem. Did you hear me? Listen, a move of God, true, genuine move of God, can't be planned. <laughs> it can't be scheduled into existence. G. Campbell Morgan, who is probably my favorite preacher since the New Testament, was an eyewitness to the great Welsh revival. That revival would break out almost exactly 100 years after the move of God at Cane Ridge. And here's what Campbell Morgan said. We cannot organize revival, <laughs> but we can set our sails to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow upon his people once again. 
Now, Barton Stone's meetings ultimately arrived. This was a long, long, long time before the days of mass marketing. Oh, how do you preachers make it? Far before the days of advertising on social media or even broadcast media. Well, the invention of the radio was more than 100 years away. But word of that revival spread. Here's how it spread. Here's how it spread. By word of mouth. Hear this preacher. Hear this preacher. Church goer, church member, preacher, Sunday school teacher, college student. Here's how revival spreads. Right here. Word of mouth. God has never changed his plan. And to this very moment, word of mouth remains the most effective means of promoting the gospel. Hear me. There's a precious lady from Central America. She's a U.S. citizen, and she assists my beautiful wife, Joni. She's a godly woman. I feel the presence of the Lord upon her. She has been a team member in our children's ministry for well over a decade. She was in service Sunday morning, which I told you to watch. So many streams, so many words, so many prophecies are converging in Columbus, Ohio right now. I don't want you to miss it. So Dr. Camp's beautiful wife, Gina, she reminds me of a younger uh, Mrs. Louise Sumrall, the wife of my pastor. She was seated over there on the front row, her husband pulling in the net of souls. I would to God, preachers would learn to give altar calls, but you can't give an altar call if you don't have an altar. Listen to me. I'm precious friend. They are right now on a plane back to their ministry headquarters in Ghana, Africa. But as they were walking out of the tabernacle, Miss Gina noticed Joni's helper. She reached out to her. She put her arms around her. She hugged her. That woman stood in front of me today, weeping like a child, uncontrollably weeping. She said, Pastor, I don't ever interrupt you, but I have to tell you what happened. So she told me that precious Gina had hugged her, didn't speak to her, just hugged her. Didn't lay hands on her with four ushers behind her, just hugged her. She said, I have never felt the power of God like that since Mother Parsley laid hands on me and since you laid hands on me. To my knowledge, I've only laid hands on her one time in my life. She said, something happened. 
I feel it now. On the inside of me, something's about to happen on the inside of hundreds and thousands of churchgoers. You want to pray. You want to witness. You want to demonstrate the kingdom of God, but you don't. An impartation came in that very moment. She said, something on the inside of me changed. I said, what happened? She said, well, I hope you don't mind, Pastor. We keep Bibles, you know, for folks that don't have a Bible when they come to church. We keep Bibles for them in, in the pews. We want everybody to have the book because it's right and everything else is wrong. She said, I hope you don't mind, but I borrowed four of those Bibles. I could not resist. She said, I took my Bibles and I drove down the road to the very first gasoline mini mart next to our church. She said, I walked in with one of those Bibles. She said, there was a young man there. She said, I've seen him many, many, many times. She said, he has many, many tattoos on his face and his neck and his hands. And he has, you know, very prominent piercings on his face. And she said, I walked up to him. And I said, do you have a Bible? And he said, well, no, ma'am. I'm, I'm very, very busy right now. There's a long line behind you. And she said, suddenly, the people in the line behind her, which obviously were from our church, started praying. The line. She said, young man, do you know Jesus? He said, ma'am, uh, you know, I don't, I don't care much for religion. She said, neither do I. She's, he said, people in church are judgmental. They would never accept someone like me. She said, first of all, I know a church that would, but Jesus will. And that young man, tr man trembling, stood there at a counter while people from the church in the line behind this brave woman watched him bow his head and pray the sinner's prayer. Then she said, Pastor, what happened next was even greater. I said, what happened? She said, he immediately left his register and went to the back and got the manager of the store and said, you need this woman to introduce you to Jesus. What would it be if a hundred people in church got that kind of a touch from God? That's what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is. I wanna get bold. I wanna say you religious thing, you. The baptism in the Holy Ghost isn't so you can talk in your shimmy, shimmy tongue and show off to somebody in church. You wanna to talk to me about your gifts. Why don't you show me your fruit? Where are the souls?
I'm about to shock you. I cannot sleep at night since I heard this. In the most recent statistics, 70%, that's seven out of 10, friend. Seven out of 10 people who will be born, live, and die in the greatest nation God ever graced the earth with, the United States of America, 70% will be born, live, and die, and never one time in their lifetime be invited to church. What are we doing? Oh, we're having a move of God, really. It seems to me when God moves, it goes outwardly. I want to go back to Cane Ridge. If you're a part of World Harvest Church, I'm looking for you. I'll tell you what I'm looking for. God, the Holy Spirit has compelled me to train 120 people. That's it. I'm, I, I'm not, I don't want to try to train the whole church. I want to personally train you to be a believer that cannot help but witness their faith and bring people to church. That's what the Holy Ghost came to do. You shall be witnesses to me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth, if you have to, if you're afraid to, if you're apprehensive about sharing your faith or inviting someone to your church, please don't say you're full of the Holy Ghost. Yeah, but I prophesy, do you? Do you prophesy to the lost? How about those three lost children living in your home? Word began to spread. No radio, no television, barely a newspaper, no social media, no television stations, no billboards. By the second night of that week-long camp meeting, the number of people who arrived to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed under a supernatural power with its accompanying miracles and signs and wonders. Are you ready? 30,000. The largest city in the state of Kentucky at that time was Lexington, just up the road from Cane Ridge. Would you like to know the population of the largest city? Hold on. The largest city in Kentucky at that time, the population was 1,800 people. And yet 30 thousand people on wagons, on horseback, on muleback, walking, filled those mountainsides. As many as 20 preachers preaching at one time. A local atheist, a skeptic, James Finley, at the time described what he witnessed when he showed up at Cane Ridge. There he is, old James, there he is. When he attempted 
to disprove the authenticity of what was going on. Here's what he wrote. The noise, 30,000 people now, largest city, 1,800. The noise was like the roar of Niagara Falls. The vast sea of human beings seemed to be agitated as if by a storm. He said, I counted seven ministers all preaching at one time. Remember, no microphones, no Perrier water, no escort, no catchers, no security, no light show, no crystal chandeliers, no preacher that was superpowered and programs that are always new, no Bozo the Clown and Foo-Foo the Dog in the children's ministry. Seven preachers under the Holy Ghost anointing, preaching at one time, some of them on stumps, others on standing on wagons, others standing on a tree which had in falling lodged against another. He said, I stepped up on a log where I could have a better view of the surging sea of humanity. The scene that then presented itself to my mind, this an atheist, was indescribable. At one time, I saw at least 500 swept down in a moment as if a battery of a thousand guns had opened upon them. And then immediately followed shrieks and shouts. Revival's loud that rent, said he, the very heavens. Ellis in Oklahoma, Benjamin in Illinois, Nancy in Louisiana, Joseph in Arizona. Here's what I want to know. Do you know one person who needs Jesus? Just one. I want to see how many people will respond immediately and type in the name of someone you know, someone you love, that if they died tonight would never make heaven. Because I want you to begin to pray and I'm gonna pray for you for something very strange. I'm gonna pray for a burden to come upon you regarding your son, your daughter, your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your auntie, your uncle, your nephew, your cousin, your niece, your work associate, that guy down at the gas station with all the piercings and all the tattoos. You know, the people we drive past on our way to church in the beautiful automobile that we tell everybody God got for us 
and there's only one or two people in there and you got five or six open seats. Do you have a burden? A burden. I mean, something that you don't have to try to fast, you know, to lose weight. A burden where you fast because you forgot to eat, because you are consumed by the Holy Spirit of God to pray, to worship, to ask God for divine intervention into the lives of those you love before it is eternally too late. So much I wanted to share with you. When recounting some of the great revival in the nation of Wales, one eyewitness said this, three-fourths of the meeting Oh, this will just burn. This will just chap the hide of pastors and preachers. Three-fourths of the meeting consists of singing, yet no one uses a hymn book. They're singing out of their spirits to God. The last person to control the meeting in any way is the young Mr. Evan Roberts. People pray, they sing, they give testimony as the Spirit of God moves them. I would to God that some of our worship, some of our singing, some of our preaching would be moved by the Holy Ghost. Said he, an indefinable influence pervades the entire nation and awakens to action in the services through simple reading of a scripture. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine just walking out on Sunday morning and reading a scripture and the spirit of God from heaven falls in a mighty rushing torrent and mows people down and people begin to worship, people begin to pray, people begin to cry, it's coming. Spirit falls with the simple singing of a hymn or the intelligent prayer of a coal miner. It's not about your education. And believe you me, I believe in education. That's why God called me to raise up an educational system. Right now, from preschool through a fully accredited bachelor's degree and soon to come fully accredited master's degrees. I believe in education, but education will not bring this. It's impossible to exaggerate or overstate the raw, the dynamic power of this remarkable, miraculously uncommon move of God. Listen, I'm a pronounced advocate of the local church. I'm proud to be a pastor, proud to be a friend, 
proud to be a mentor to tens of thousands of other pastors and ministry gifts across our nation around the world. I long for, I pray for, I look for, and I, be, I need you to join me to continue to contend for a revival among the churches in this nation. I was going to talk to you about the great awakening. Now that was not a revival, that was an awakening in the islands of the Hebrides off of Scotland, started by two women, both in their 80s, one of them blind, they were sisters, and one of them bent over with a crippling disease, who began to pray for God to move on their island with a burden. They prayed from 12 o'clock to four o'clock in the morning every day for years. Do you have a burden? When's the last time God said in the middle of one of your binges to turn off Netflix and go get in your prayer closet and pray for your family? You have a burden for the lost souls in your own family? Now I'm not talking about, yes, Lord Jesus, please save my family. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about a little lay me down to sleep prayer. I'm talking about taking hold of the horns of the altar and shaking them under the anointing of God until the heavens are rent and the answer comes. Do you have a burden for those that surround you every day? Whom should they spend their final 24 hours upon this earth? Or, or should they die of some sudden disease or accident? Or should the trumpet of God sound? How about that one? Would spend eternity separated from you in a place called hell? If you have no such burden, I, I constrain you. Pray for it. Pray for it now and pray for it unceasingly. A burden upon the heart of a believer is the prerequisite for revival. It places deep down in the human soul the heaviness of a great weight of godly love and compassion for a lost soul. Listen, a burden is never for the masses. That's where so many preachers miss it. Well, I'm called to the masses. You don't have a burden for the masses. You have a burden for the one, just one. That's a Jesus burden, a deep revelation of everything that awaits the unrepentant, the terrifying signpost over the entryway of Satan's abyss and Dante's inferno, all hope abandoned, you who enter here. Such a burden, such a burden, carried by two elderly sisters, Peggy and Christine Smith, one 84 years old, the other 82. One nearly blind, the other 
with spinal stenosis bent over almost double. Godly one had received such a burden for the lost souls in their own community. Spent hours every night praying in agreement for an outpouring. They simply refused to give up or let up and God answered. One of the greatest awakenings, if you'll get my book, Revival If, I will teach you the difference between a revival and an awakening. I don't have time to do that right now. I want to tell you what has just happened, just happened just a few days ago. In 1970, a revival broke out at Asbury College in a chapel service. Hear me now, 1970. Regular chapel service was going on. Academic dean was giving testimony. He then invited other students to share their own experience of salvation. You see, you say, I don't know how to share my faith. Do you know what happened to you? That's all my precious friend did right down the road here a mile at the gas station Sunday afternoon. All she did is tell that young man what had happened to her. My, my good friend evangelist, Deborah George, who's probably won 10,000 souls in person to Christ already this year, on the streets of America, no pulpit, no PA system, no light show, no organ music, just her and the gospel. She said, when I first got saved, I went out to win the lost. And she said, I told people, you can find John 3.16 in the book of Revelation. You don't have to be a scholar. One courageous student at Asbury in 1970 decided to share his testimony. Then another, then another. Eyewitnesses said gradually and inexplicably Students, faculty found themselves praying, weeping, singing. They sought out others to whom they had done wrong and asked for their forgiveness. The chapel service went on and on without interruption for 185 hours, 24 hours a day for an entire week. From that move of God, 2,000 witnessing teams were sent from Asbury to 130 different churches and college campuses. And that revival spread across America as far as California, from Asbury in Kentucky. Fast forward to 2023, just a few days ago, right up the road from here, Asbury University, Hughes Auditorium. Monday marked 53 years since the 1970 Asbury Revival that lasted 185 hours. Asbury, 
is less than one hour from Cane Ridge, Kentucky. Last Wednesday, after chapel, just a handful of students stayed. After the benediction, the choir began to sing a final chorus, and then something began to happen. Students refused to leave. They were struck by what seemed to be a quiet but powerful sense of transcendence. Here's what I'm wanting to say. They did not want to leave, so they stayed. This is for all you 45 minutes, get them in, get them out, count their heads, send them away, preachers. They're still there. 160 hours, 68 hours later, they're still, this is, I believe, yesterday. Now they filled up their chapel 24 hours a day and they filled up four other buildings with overflows, and yet the people cannot get inside. Right now, they're reading and reciting scripture. Right now, many are standing with their arms raised, interlocked. Several are clustered in little small groups all over the campus, praying together. Some are kneeling at the altar. Some are lying prostrate on, straight on the floor. By last Thursday evening, nearly a week ago now, there was standing room only. Students began to arrive from other universities. The University of Kentucky, the University of the Cumberlands, Purdue University, Indiana Wesleyan University, Ohio Christian University, Transylvania University, Midway University, Lee University, the great Church of God University, in Tennessee, Georgetown College, Mount Vernon Nazarene University, Valor Christian College students have been given special seating in that chapel on Friday morning. By Saturday, last Saturday, the building was packed beyond capacity. By Sunday, Overflow was established in Estes Chapel across Lexington Avenue at Asbury Theological Seminary. By Monday, a third overflow at McKenna Chapel, also at Asbury Seminary, was overflowing. Overflows are overflowing. People are on the lawns, they're praying, they're worshiping. People are standing in line to get in when they can't. They stand on the stairs of the entrances to the auditoriums. Every night, students have stayed. They pray all night long. Nation shaking, culture transforming, history making revivals begin with one individual in personal revival. So I ask you, could you be that one? Are you willing? Are you prepared to experience the refreshing revenant rain a personal revival, if, only if. I pray for you now. I pray that a heaven-sent burden for lost, dying, desperate, hungry, hell-bound 
eternal souls would come upon you, that you would know the joy of praying, of interceding, of believing for the salvation of people around you, that a supreme release, a divine anointing to freely share your faith and invite people to your church would come upon you in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, if you want it, type in, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. Whatever it takes, God, turning the TV off, I want it. Fasting, I want it. Praying, I want it. Worshiping, I want it. Freedom, I want it. Miracles, signs, wonders, deliverance, healing, demonstrations of the Holy Ghost, I want it, I want it. I want it, and we're going to begin to agree. Who knows? I may have a greater report for you next Wednesday night. I may get letters from you. I may get emails from you. I may get messages on social media from you telling me what God is doing in your church, in your family, in your heart. Oh, tell me who you've won to Jesus. Tell me who you've witnessed your faith to. Tell me who you've invited to church. This is it. This could be our moment. There's a rumbling in the mulberry bushes. Something's shaking. Something's moving. I pray God we do not allow it to pass us by. Let's spread the flames of revival. Now, everybody... Give something tonight. You'll be blessed. God promised it. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, no easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.